let's give a shout out to our youth real quick. Come on, can we give a little bit of shout to our youth? Have I turned myself on? You got me? There we go. We're coming together. Uh, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And I want to say thank you to everybody that's visiting with us. I know that we have some uh, special family members in the house today because today is a full day. Not only do you get an incredible worship set. Come on and put it together for our worship team. Um, of course, Brian up here clowning himself, clowning everybody, including himself. Uh, uh, but then after service today, we're going to have six people baptized in water. Isn't that awesome? Um, and so just phenomenal stories. It's great to be a part of a church where lives are being changed. And um, uh, I do want to share a little bit just from the Word of God before we get into that this morning. But let me give a couple of quick announcements, and then we'll go from there. Uh, First of all, along with this giving series, we've been doing a finance class, and so last Wednesday night, we we're doing two of them. Last Wednesday night was the first one. Uh, it was a greatly intended. Everybody that walked out said it was beneficial and impactful, and then we'll do one more Wednesday night, December 30th, and so if you haven't registered for that, if you, if you forget to register, just come on. It's 6.30, Wednesday night, December 30th. Get here so you can get some of that basic information on budgeting and different things like that. Our mindset was if we're going to preach finances. We want to try to give you kind of practical steps on what to do with it. So not just encouragement from the word, but practical steps. So if you need those, come out December 30th, Wednesday night, 630. Uh, also, normally we don't talk a lot about finances on every Sunday. What we'll try to do is, uh, of course, on the video, Darla will kind of let you know how to give. But I try to bring our attention to where those finances are going. And so every Sunday, I'll try to get up here and share a different area where we're making impact. And I do want to share with you this morning a place that we're making impact. There's a ministry called Youth for Christ. And Youth for Christ right now has different ministries happening in different schools. And in the Antioch schools, Youth for Christ has kind of a gathering time. I believe it's after school where they have the opportunity to share the gospel. And one of the things they do is they provide snacks for the kids. So the kids get to eat, make sure that they fill their bellies before they fill their spirits with Jesus Christ. And Youth for Christ reached out to us and asked if we'd like to prepare, uh, provide snacks for that. And so we said, hey, because our church is so faithful, go ahead and put us down. We're going to provide snacks for the whole rest of the year, and then next year we'll work you into the budget so that we can provide snacks every day that y'all meet. So because of your faithfulness, from now to the end of this year, when those kids gather to talk about Jesus, they're going to be provided snacks free, no charge, no charge for them, no charge for Youth for Christ. So come on, church. Come on. What, what I always love about Victory is we're not just doing ministry in here. We are. We're doing great ministry in here, kids ministry, great adult ministry. But we're also doing ministry outside of these walls in our communities from Antioch to Smyrna, even to Murfreesboro, Laverne. We're in all these different imp uh, areas making impact. And you're going to hear a lot about that next Sunday because next Sunday is Vision Sunday. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring this series to a close, and I'm going to show you what we're doing for the first six months of 2023. And so you don't want to miss that. You want to be in the room. We're going to pray together and believe God to finish strong at the end of this year and just crazy, crazy vision for next year. Brian mentioned Purpose Prevails, and he mentioned God's guarantee. I wanted to share a little bit more about God's guarantee. We've done Purpose Prevails at the end of every year. Uh, it's been kind of our end of the year giving, and it sets the tone for what we're going to do next year financially in the community and through our church. But also last year, we introduced God's guarantee. And here's what God's guarantee is. We, we kind of came to the table and said, you know what? We're asking people to pray about an end of the year offering, but some of those people they don't tithe. And so they're missing out on some of the principles and blessings that God has for our finances through the principle of tithing. And so what we really need to do is really need to encourage them to tithe first. And so we started saying, hey, look, if you tithe, pray about purpose prevails. If you don't tithe, pray about beginning to tithe. 
And one of those ways and one of those hindrances often is just a little bit of fear. I'm going to talk a little bit about this today, the, the fear of not having enough. In the Bible, what God says is the only time he says to test me, to, to test in your finances. And so we started something and, uh, last year, and it was incredible because it worked, and nobody asked for their money back, which is a praise <laughs> to God. Uh, but, but here's what we do. We say, hey, we're going to give you 90 days to step out in faith and begin that principle of tithing. I will share a testimony about it next week. Um, but we're going give to you, give you an opportunity to step out and do that. And after that 90 days, if God has not sustained you, now listen, we're not saying God's going to get you uh, Maserati, okay? But if God has not sustained you, then, and you, don't, you have not seen God's hand in your finances, then we'll turn around and give 100% of that money back to you because I just believe that God's going to show you his faithfulness. And you kind of get that opportunity to step out in faith. But knowing that that net is there, it kind of helps us a little bit. And so there's a whole process that you go through to be able to uh, do that. But I do want to encourage you. You've heard me talk the past couple of weeks. You'll hear me talk today. You'll see moments where I mention tithing and maybe you feel the spirit of God going, you know what? I I want to start that, but I don't know where to start. And I believe God guarantees the way to do that. And so as Brian said, next week we'll begin giving out those cards and you'll have the whole month of December to pray through it um, and to make that commitment. And so I want to encourage you to do so. Amen? All right, you ready for the word? All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings will be after 1 Kings. Um, It's how math works, but it's in the Old Testament. Uh, If you are visiting with us, I just want to let you know we are in a series that we're calling God Doesn't Make Sense, and sense being spelled C-E-N-T-S, and we've been talking about finances and Every year around this time, that's what we do. We take a couple of weeks and we set it aside to talk about what the Bible says about our faith and our finances, and then we pray and consider what God would want to do in our lives in our finances. Uh, the first week, we talked about how our, our finances are often faith-disguised, and the idea that, that following God with our finances is to build our faith. And I talked about how the very first time I ever gave money to God, I gave 40 bucks And then I shared that about, I don't know what it was, 14 years later, God asked me to give our family to his work as we moved here to plant this church. And so it's just kind of a cool way of how God builds our faith. Last week, we talked about the grace in giving. And so many times giving is taught out of guilt or greed. And we talked about how what it's really founded in is grace. And that we, when we understand the grace of Jesus Christ, we give not from an, ex- an external obligation, but from an internal motivation. And so it was really an encouragement. I hope you enjoyed that. And today is technically our final message of this series, although next week it'll kind of have a, a tie-in of finances, but it'll really be more about the vision. But 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 is where I'm going to start reading. And then as I finish reading, we'll get into the word. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, your servant, my husband, is dead. The provider of our house is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. Watch this. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now, back in that day, when you owed money and you couldn't pay it, they would actually come and take your children. All right. Now, some of you are wondering if you can still pay off credit by giving your children. It's not how that works, all right? Um, but, but this was a big deal, obviously, jokes aside, that she was going to lose her children to her debt. And it says, Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she replied, except a small jar of olive oil. Olive oil obviously being what she would use to make their food. And Elijah said, okay, now go around 
and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Everybody say empty jars. Empty jars. And I love this line. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour the oil into all of the empty jars, and as each is filled, put the filled ones to the side. So she left him, and she shut the door behind her and her sons, and she did what he asked, and they brought the jars to her, her sons did, and as they'd bring a jar, she would pour and fill up the jar, and then they would move it and bring another jar, and when all of the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one, we, we still got oil, bring me another one, but he replied, there's not a jar left. The Bible says, then the oil stopped flowing, and she went and she told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and then you and your sons can live on what is left. Last year in our end of the year giving series, I had a sermon titled, God is bad at math. And it just makes sense. I talked through manna falling from heaven and how God provided for the Israelites. But even as I read this story and as I continue to read the Bible, I want to talk to you this morning from this idea, God is still bad at math. Amen, church. Can I get an amen? God is still bad at math. All right. So uh, before we get going, let me explain a little bit. I, I am the gifted mathematician in our home, okay? Um, I, I don't have a lot of uh, highlights in the education area. I, I, I'm not the great, not, not the best, hence English, there you go. I'm not the best at a lot of things, if anything, really, but it's that one thing. And in our household, it's the only thing that I'm better at than my wife is math. It's the only thing time where I get her. But, but even, even the best of us, right, even the best mathematicians sometimes get it wrong. And I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, Darla and I were in Memphis visiting some family, and we decided to do a date day at Ikea. Are y'all familiar with Ikea? Uh, it's the place where you have to assemble all the furniture, right? And so we're, we're having our date day at Ikea, and we're going around, and, and Darla let me know leading up. She said, this is a date, so I'm going to buy something. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> Um, I, I'm a little bit hesitant with finances, and so she said, I'm going to buy something. I said, all right, cool. So we get into Ikea, and if you've ever, you know, you can get lost in Ikea. And so we start through the process, and we're, she's grabbing little things, and it's just little things. She grabbed some wooden hangers, and she put it, and as she put it in the cart, I memorized the amount of money it was. I was like, all right, those are $11. We're at 11 And she went over to, like, the, we needed a couple new bowls, and she got a couple new bowls, and I was like, all right, they're 99 cents a piece or whatever. That's two. It's $2 plus tax, 210 you know, 220 whatever. And we're going through, and she got a succulent. Uh, she got some curtains. And, I, and the whole time we're going through Ikea, I'm doing the math in my head with everything she got. Because I don't want to be surprised. You know what I mean? Like, I want to get up to the conveyor belt and to the cashier, and I, when she tells me the amount, I want to go, I already knew that was coming. I already knew the damage you were going to do to me. I'm cool. And so we go through, and we get to that furniture assemble area, right, where it's like all the unassembled furniture, and I'm scared to death because this is where the money is. And so every time she go down the aisle, I'll be like, but do we really need it, though? Like, do we need it? There's only four of us. We got four chairs. You don't need five. And so we're just kind of going through, you know, and we made it out of there. She didn't get anything. We survived. And as we're walking to the cashier, once again, I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm just under $50. And I'm telling myself, like, good, this is, this is good because, you know, we couldn't even pay for dinner for less than $50, so I've made it out pretty good on this date day. I'm kind of bebopping, kind of excited and happy, right, because this was affordable, and I'm getting the stuff out, putting the conveyor belt, and I'm not even paying attention 
to ask you, because I know I'm confident. So I'm not even watching as stuff's ringing up, you know, and pull out my wallet and get ready. And the woman says, uh, that'll be $117. I was like, say what? Like, you know, excuse me? And, and, and to this day, y'all, I can't, I looked, I read the receipt five different times walking out of Ikea. I'm like, I don't understand how that adds up. I thought I was getting, you know, robbed out of $50. I got robbed out of $117. Moral of the story, message of the day, don't go to Ikea. All right, there we go. I just want to let you know, stay at Walmart where you know the prices. They're, they're low, they're being cut in half. Stay at Walmart. Um, but I just, I just, it, the math didn't add up to me. And when I tell you that God is bad at math or God is still bad at math, I want you to understand that I'm not saying that God doesn't understand math, okay? I'm not saying that God is a bad student or that if you consider yourself a mathematician that you in some way are more intelligent than God. But it does seem that God often chooses not to practice math in the way that you and I do. When we read scripture, I'm not saying he doesn't understand it, it just seems like he doesn't practice it. And when it comes to the heart of God, God doesn't always stick to the understood rules of a mathematical equation. That's ultimately what I'm saying, is that when it comes to the heart of God, it doesn't seem like God sticks to the rules of a mathematical equation. All throughout the Bible, God is very specific with numbers. He's very specific with Moses. He's very specific with Noah. He's very specific with Abraham. He's very specific with his disciples. All throughout the Bible, he's specific with numbers. But most of the time, majority of the time, his math just doesn't quite add up. I'll give you some examples. When God is involved, five loaves of bread and two fish somehow feeds thousands doesn't add up. When God is involved, you can have a wedding that has zero wine, and yet by the time it's over, you can have six stone jars filled to the brim of the best wine. When God is involved, you can be a 99-year-old man and still have children. When God is involved, you can have no fish in one moment, put your net on the other side, and all of a sudden have so many fish that the net is breaking. When God is involved, one stone can slay a giant. You see my point? My point is that when it comes to any part of our life, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your kids, when it comes to your job, when it comes to your dreams, and especially when it comes to your finances, something miraculous happens when we add God to the equation. Amen? I think in the ultimate end of things, it's our choice whether we get to decide when it comes to honoring God with our finances, whether it's going to be addition. Oh, man, I got to add another bill to my finances. Whether it's going to be subtraction. Man, now I got less money to operate with. Whether it's going to be division. Man, now I've got to separate and and divide my money up amongst all these different pie charts. And now we got another pie chart. Or whether it's going to be multiplication. God can do more with this than I can do with it. I have been saved now for 17, 18 years. And I have certainly learned a lot about my faith and my finances throughout these years. And if there was one lesson 
that I've learned that's my favorite lesson, that if I wanted you to walk out today with a lesson, a lesson that maybe would help you trust in God with your finances, the lesson would be this, trust God's math. Trust God's math. Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 4 for a second. I want to show you something. It's important that you grasp what's happening in 2 Kings chapter 4. This woman comes to the prophet Elijah, and Elijah is a prophet, which means he represents God, okay? So in that day, when he spoke, it was considered the voice of God. Your, your, your pastors are normally your modern-day prophets. They're, they're speaking what the Word of God says. They're praying and trying to hear the presence of God and the voice of God to then communicate it to you. But, but then the prophet, it was, it, was, it was like serious. Like this was the voice of God. So this woman goes to Elijah. So if you wanted to have symbolism, it, the woman represents us and the prophet represents God. And the woman goes to Elijah and she says, help me. These creditors are going to come take my kids. I don't have enough money to live. What am I going to do? And Elijah says, well, what do you have? She says, I don't have anything. She says, all I have is a little bit. I would do a whole other sermon that would tell you, put value in what you have. What you have has value. But that's a whole other sermon, not for today. But she says, I don't have much. And he says, okay, then go to all of your neighbors and go around and knock on their doors and ask them for empty jars. Try to put yourself in this story. Imagine if you came to God with a little bit of oil, and what you need is more oil so that you can then sell the oil and pay off your debts, and God's answer to you was not to give you oil, but to say, go to all of your neighbors, knock on their doors, and ask them for empty jars. There's so much tension in this verse because the lady needs more oil, but she's told by God to go ask for empty jars. Do, do you see the tension? This is such a weird request for her that here she is thinking, I don't have enough. And God is telling her to go get plenty of things to be able to hold the resource in which she doesn't have enough of. See the tension? But here's what you have to understand from 2 Kings chapter 4, is that when we trust God with our finances, we will always find ourselves in the middle of having the faith and doing the math. Anytime we trust God, I'll stretch it to this. Anytime we trust God with anything, we find ourselves in the middle of the tension of having the faith and doing the math. When you decide to step out and tithe, where, do you, where is your biggest tension between having the faith to do it? I know God told me in the scriptures to do it and I'd be blessed and I want to do it because I love God. But where's the real tension? I can't afford it. I'm doing the math and the math doesn't work. Uh, but I'll step aside from that. When we're asking God to help us have a family and we believe God's promised us that we're going to have kids, where's the tension? Having the faith that God's going to do it and doing the math. This is our third time going through this process. If God didn't do it three times, why is he going to do it the fourth time? You see what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't matter what we struggle with. We're always in the middle of that tension of having faith and doing math. Whether it's purpose prevails or whether it's trying to apply for a job. I oh, mean, I've applied seven times. I've had ten interviews and nothing. See what I mean? It's math. It's math. But especially with our finances, 
I want to confess something to you that I believe, and I hope it really helps your soul. Most people are not being stingy or rebellious against God when it comes to their finances. They simply do not see the margin to give. Most people are not out trying to be disobedient to God. Most people are not out going, it's my money, get away, Jesus. Like, it's, it's not that kind of mindset. If they were completely honest, they would just say, I'm looking at my bills, and I'm looking at my income, and we're doing everything we can. I'm selling stuff on Etsy. My husband's out here, you know, selling plasma. You know, like I'm doing everything I can do. to pay. We just do not see the margin to give. You know what I think is the most interesting sentence in 2 Kings chapter 4? It's the moment that the prophet Elijah tells her, do not get just a few jars. Isn't that interesting? Like, number one, not only does it look like it doesn't belong in there, it's, it doesn't even sound like great English. Like, like, you know, I mean, why not say get plenty of jars? Don't say do not get just a few. But, but why did he think it was so important? Better yet, why did the author of 2 Kings who's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. Why did he think it was important to include that? And here's why. Because God knew then what he still knows today, is that anytime we're asked to do something in faith, we are always going to allow what we believe to be impacted by what we see. We will always allow what we think to be impacted by what we see. So he told her, look, he told her, Go get empty jars. And then he immediately followed up with, but hey, listen, listen, look at me. Do not get just a few. Because here's what I think would happen. I was doing as much study as I could theologically, and they were saying that the amount of oil was the amount that's normally in a container where it's kind of anointing oil. So it's about this much oil. So if, if what I was reading is accurate, and we don't have any real accuracy on this, but we're trying to guess by situation and all. But let's just say this is how much oil she had. All right? So get that in your mind. Now imagine she's going out to a neighbor. Can I help you? Uh, yes. I need to borrow an empty jar. For what? Don't worry about it. It's a long story. Just can I have an empty jar? Sure. And they bring back an empty jar. All right? Now, here's a moment of tested faith. Because I don't know about you, this is plenty of jar for that much oil, right? So there would have been a temptation to go, I'll just stop right here. But because the prophet had said, do not get just a few jars, she would have remembered that. So she would have went to the next house. Can I help you? Ah, yes. I need to borrow some empty jars. For what? Don't worry about it. Just can I just borrow? Sure. Okay. All right. Thank you. Guess what would have happened then? I don't know about you, I'll speak on my behalf. I would have looked at the oil again and said, this is plenty of jars for that much oil, right? But because the Lord had spoke to her, she kept on going. Listen, I think God knew that with every jar she got, she was going to question what she sees. I think God knew that every time she got another jar, there was going to be a moment where she decided, you know what? That's plenty for what I have. I don't have a lot, so I don't need a lot of jars. Let me give it to you in a cuter way. I think God is completely aware of our temptation to limit his miracles to our metric system. I think he's aware of it. I think he knows that the biggest struggle for you and I is to try to categorize his miracles by our metric system. Well, God, the world says, stats say, my past 
says, my current situation says. It should only be three times. I don't have enough. I've tried it before. And we start to develop our metric system, and the Spirit of God would tell us about every area of our life. Yes, our finances, but not just our finances. Our faith, our trust, our belief, our hope, our passion. Hey, get plenty of jars. Why? Because you need room for me to move. And the more that you believe I can, the more you give me room to do so. For many, this this very thought of giving, this concept of tithing and giving and any kind of bill above our tithes or whatever, it, it often creates anxiety that is driven by two things, fear and a scarcity mindset. Fear of I may not have enough and fear of I don't already have enough. And this leads to us being overwhelmed by the fear of not having enough. Then watch this. We're tempted to replace God's plan with our own plan because we feel his plan is uncertain. You ever done that? Where you were struggling with what you were seeing, so you tried to replace God's plan with your plan? I put a little cute way at the end of this to say it. When we feel poor, we won't pour. When we feel like we don't have much, then we're hesitant to give much. When we're looking through our lack instead of Christ's love, there becomes a moment where we start to critique what we have and think that we don't have, and so the Spirit of God would bring you here today to tell you, get plenty of jars. Say plenty of prayers. Ask plenty of times. Try plenty of times. Go to plenty of interviews. Right? Go to plenty of doctor meetings. Try to all my husbands out there trying to have kids, try plenty of times. <laughs> You're welcome, Kyle. Try plenty of times. Why? Why would the Spirit of God tell us to try plenty? Because the faith is in God. And the more we do, the more we go, the more jars I have, the more God has to feel. Plenty. I don't know how many of y'all have. Uh, I can say elementary age up to middle school age kids, uh, but you'll understand. Those of you that have young kids, soon to have kids, I'm going to prepare you for this because this is already happening, and it's a shame. You should, you, just al- you should already be mad about it. John, Emily, you already be mad about this, okay? Be mad about it today. My daughter came home from school one day, Veda, uh, and, and she introduced to me. She came in, she sat down, and she was, it was a math homework problem. And I sat down. And she said, here's the problem, I need help. I said, this is easy. I started working it out. And she said, no, Dad, we operate by new math. Y'all heard this mess? I said, wait a minute. When did we start changing stuff in schools? Right? Pluto's not a planet. Now everything doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Math ain't the same. All of a sudden, we're going to change up presidents like they didn't exist. Like, what do you mean new math? Like, I don't understand. I don't know about you. I'm not having a problem with current math. You know what I mean? Uh, are y'all ever somewhere and you're like two plus two equals four and you're like, that's wrong. It's like, oh man, this old math doesn't work right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like math is not a car. You know what I mean? It doesn't get like deteriorating over time. It's still the same. I'm mad about it. Can you tell I'm mad about it? <laughs> so, so I do the math problem and I'm like, what's new math? And she says, you have to work it this way. And she starts to work it and it takes like this much of the paper for her to work the problem. I said, that's just a lot of extra work. I think it's because teachers, no offense teachers, it's not y'all the people above you. (laughs) I think they don't know what to do, so they just want to 
prolong class by doing the same thing longer than you need to do it. Here's the killer. She wrote out the problem. And inside her problem was old math. I was like, baby, just see right there? That's the answer. Like, you don't need all this junk. You know what I mean? Like, this is the problem with new math is we're adding stuff that doesn't matter. Can I? Somebody get a principle on the line right now. This is wrong. So this is wrong. So here's my problem, Beta. As I said, it looks like a complicated way to get to the same answer. Right? Like, it just looks like that there's an easier way to do this. And because of this new math thing, now it's just a complicated way to get to the same answer. You ever felt that way about God? You know what I mean? Like he's, like he's doing the complicated way to get to the simple answer. Like let's just take this story in 2 Kings chapter 4. Couldn't he have just given her oil? Let's just be transparent for a second. Just me and you. Talk like you're a real person for a second, okay? If you go to God and you need oil, and you say, God, I would like to have some oil, please. And God says, I'd like you to go to your neighbors and ask for empty jars, and you can pour the little bit of oil you have, and I'm going to, like, I don't need all that. That sounds like new math, God. <laughs> just, just do the little bewitch twinkling of the nose or whatever, and, like, all of a sudden, let there be more oil. I'll give you the same praise, right? I'll give you Hallelujah. You're the God of the jars and the oil. Can I get a hallelujah? Like, you know what I mean? Like, can we just, can we do this an easier way? Like, like, why is this so complicated, God? What are we doing? Feeding 5,000, technically 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Why, God? Why, what are we doing? Like, like you, are, you are Jesus Christ. You are the Son of God. You literally will die and resurrect from the grave. Couldn't you, like, snap and their bellies be full you know what I mean like couldn't that better yet couldn't you snap and everybody would like all of a sudden have like a captain d's number three special plate you know what I mean like like two fried fish and some hush puppies just in their lap why do we have to rob from this little boy take his food punk him out right take his food and then we got to pray and go through all this stuff. And then you're going to hand it to the disciples. And then they're going to get, it didn't multiply in their hands as they were giving it out. It was like God was refilling it. And so they would give something and there'd be another one. And be some, oh, what are we doing, God? Why is this so complicated? Abraham, 99 having kids. Can anybody else against that math? <laughs> like, I'm 38. I don't want any more kids. You know what I mean? Don't play games with me, Jesus. Like, what are we doing, God? Why is it so complicated? Same thing for us. God, why is it so complicated? If you would just give me money, I'll give some to you. Right? Don't tell me you ain't ever thought that before. I hear people say this all the time. Well, once I get some money, I'll start tithing. What does that even mean? You know what I mean? Like, no, it's not the case. But here's why God makes, here's why God operates by new math. You ready? Because in God's kingdom, giving, giving isn't about dollars, it's about dependence. The idea of giving has never been about the amount. It's about whether or not you're depending on God. Can I give you a little secret? Number one, God is madly in love with you. I love when Brian says, we love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Let me give you a better revelation. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. 
well, you don't know what I did last night. I don't care what you did last night. Doesn't matter what you do. You can't do anything about the fact that God loves you. He loves you so much he's chasing you. He loves you so much that he brought you here. You woke up this morning with half your nose. You couldn't breathe out of it, right, because it's cold outside, and you were like, I'm still going to church. Why are you going to church? Because God loves you. God loves you. And the best gift that God wants for you is for you to depend on God. This is what he wants. And he wants it for you because it's the best thing you can have in our culture today. Because I don't know if you've checked, but in our culture today, things are a little untrustworthy. (laughs) Like one minute, everything's good. The next minute, we're all about to die. You know what I mean? So like it's a little bit up in the air. And so for us to put dependence on ourselves or on this world is shaky. And so God says the best thing for your faith and the best thing for your peace and the best thing for you to just be in a place of, 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 you know, wealth and peace and, and all these different things is for you to depend on God. And then God said this, I think, to himself. It's clear that their hardest place for dependence is money. Right? We all have struggles with dependence in all kinds of areas, but when it comes to finances, we really struggle, and here's why. Because often we put our dependence in money. If I have enough money, then it doesn't, know, doesn't matter what happens, I'll be okay. And so now our dependence is in money, and to be honest with you, the reason why we struggle trusting God with it is because we don't want to give it away and then all of a sudden be back in a spirit of uncertainty. But God says, I want you to be at a place where you depend on me for everything. Depend on me to get that job. Depend on me to be able to provide. Depend on me so you can have a baby. Depend on me so you'll find the husband or the wife you've been looking for. Depend on me that you'll walk on your purpose. Depend on me. And so God uses this to train us and to teach us that we can, in fact, depend on God. I've shared this story with some of you before, but a lot of you are new and you might not have heard it. I think you should hear it. Uh, it was just uh, an illustration for me to learn what it's like to, to take my dependence off of everything that makes sense and to put it on a God that often doesn't make sense at all. Um, it was a weekday. It was during the summer. I want to say it was like a Tuesday. And my neighborhood will often do those uh, annual yard sales. They'll do like two a year where everybody has a yard sale and they'll let you know like, hey, if you want to put your stuff out, you can have a yard sale. So my kids are very familiar with what a yard sale is. We have gone and participated. We've never put stuff out because I don't believe in that. Just kidding. Just too lazy. But, but at the same time, I don't want to, you know, I go and we shop and all this kind of stuff. So it's a Tuesday. And Casey Ray says to me, she says, Dad, tonight for dinner, I want to have Sonic. And I said, well, baby, we can't afford Sonic, okay? Here's why I said that before y'all start taking a love offering up for your pastor because he can't afford Sonic. Uh, Here's why I did that. Number one, because she... I purchased Sonic, and then she barely eats it. So it's a waste of money, and I'm a good steward of my finances, okay? Um... (laughs) Also, I just want to spend the money, okay? Confession, I want to spend the money, okay? I have all this macaroni and cheese in the closet. She should eat that. And so I just didn't want to have the conversation. And so to try to end the conversation, because as a parent, there's times where you don't want to explain stuff to your kids, so you tell them lies. <laughs> Mom and dad were having a conversation in there. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, all right. There you go. There we are. Everybody's back. Uh, so, sorry, I've totally lost. Holy Spirit has left. Um, (laughs) so she says to me, she says, well, I'll pay for my own Sonic. And I said, okay, you do that. You seven year old smart mouth. (laughs) Just kidding. I love her to death. She, she heads upstairs to her room and she comes back down with all these toys. And I said, are you moving out? (laughs) And she said, which she's done before. She said, no, she said, I'm going to have a yard sale. 
I said, okay, baby, listen. It's Tuesday. It's like 10.30 in the morning. Nobody is coming to your yard sale. I don't mean to kill your dreams, but nobody knows about it, baby. I said, normally the yard sales you're thinking about, there's been signs up for a month and people know about it. And Saturday's kind of yard sale day. So there's weirdos out there looking for yard sales and all kind of stuff. Sorry if that's you. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, like it's, it's, it's a day. It's a day. Please don't leave. Baptisms are going to be great. Stay. Don't get offended. Um, I said, but today's not the day. Today's not the day. Like you're, you're, you're not going to make any money. And she completely ignored me. And she said, you'll see. And so she starts setting her stuff up. I had to go to work. So I was like, you know what? Whatever. Uh, you know, Darla will be responsible for cleaning it all up. We'll see what happens. And so I get in the car and I leave. I had meetings all day. I pull back into the driveway about 5, 30, 6 o'clock, and there's nothing in the driveway. And so I was like, wow. Not only was it so poor that she's done, but she's completely cleaned up. Like it's probably been cleaned up for hours. I walk in the house. I go back towards the kitchen where my wife is. And I said, how did the yard sale go? For Casey Ray, and she said, you should probably talk to her yourself. And I said, oh, it was that bad. That's, oh, man, I'm going to go counsel my poor seven-year-old, you know, through this. And so I walk in the living room. I said, Casey Ray, and she comes running, running down the stairs super fast. And I said, how'd the yard still go? And before I could ask the question, she whips out a $20 bill, y'all, and she's waving it in my face. And I'm like, how did you? Okay, and she goes on to tell me the story, but my wife told me the story in a little bit more of an adult capacity, so I'm going to give you the story of what happened. Casey Ray got into our driveway, and she set up about eight or nine toys, all about a quarter to 50 cents a piece for each one. So if she'd have sold everything, she'd have made like six bucks, okay? Um, not even enough for Sonic, by the way. And so she sets up everything, and she's sitting out there, and she's waiting, and she's waiting, and this older lady pulls up in her car, and she rolls her window down, and she starts conversation with Casey Ray about what she's doing, and Casey Ray tells her what she's doing, and she goes, well, you know what? You got this Mickey Mouse bag over there, and my grandson would love that Mickey Mouse bag. How much are you selling it for? To which my daughter, who walks in the presence of God, gets up and says, it's 50 cents, but if you want it, you can have it for your grandson. Oh, right, because she's led by the Holy Spirit. To which then the woman responds, no, I'll pay for it, but all I have is a $20 bill. She hands it to my daughter and then proceeds to say, keep the change. 50-cent bag, $20 bill. I am convinced. I don't even know if that woman really exists. I think... I think God said, son, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to teach you that it's not about what you think and it's not about what you see. I am God and I can do what I want when I want. And because your daughter has more faith than you, I'm about to bless her with enough of money that she could buy you, Sonic. <laughs> what I'm telling you, folks, is that it's so easy to get into a position where we don't trust God's math because we're doing our own. Yeah. And our math is misleading because of the God that we serve. And this is why when, I, when it comes to giving, I think God wants us to have a revelation. A revelation of his grace, a revelation of his faithfulness, a revelation of his love. So that instead of focusing on our lack, what we'll focus on is his love what I think that matters. So we have to get to a place where we're trusting God's math. But in order for us to trust God's math, I need you to understand this, that the God that loves you 
the God that you serve, the God who sent his only son to die on a cross for you, that God is the God of plenty. He's the God of plenty. I'll show you what I mean. Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 4 for a second. We're getting ready to close. But you got to be able to catch this. It's so good. It says she left him and she shut the door behind her and her son. So she did what he said. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But then he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and she told the man of God, watch this. And he said, now go sell the oil and pay your debts. And then you and your sons can live on what is left. I don't know if you caught it when we read it at the beginning, but she was only asking for oil to pay her debts. She was saying, listen, we're at such a desperate place that the creditors are coming for my children. So in order to be able to save the lives of my children, I'm asking that you would just give me enough to be able to pay my debts so I could free my kids. And because we serve a God of plenty, he gave them enough to be able to pay her debts and then said, you can live on the leftovers. We're just a couple of days away from my favorite holiday of the year because I love food. And for days, I will live off the leftovers. Amen? Amen. If you have leftovers, you don't want them, let a brother know. I'll take them. But this is what happens when we serve a God who is the God of plenty. When we trust him with our lives, especially our finances, not only does he give us what we need, but he gives us even more. I wrote it like this. When we trust God to provide, he always provides plenty. And here's some examples for you. For our sins, there's plenty of forgiveness. For our guilt, there's plenty of grace. For our struggles, there's plenty of strength. And for our needs, there's plenty of provision. Every need that we have, the God that we serve, there's plenty. But there's another thing that happens in 2 Kings chapter 4. Now that you can take that and apply it, that your God is the God of plenty. And that the same God who gave Casey Ray $20 can give you whatever it is that you need. When we can break that stereotype where we're relying on ourselves and our knowledge and what we see, and we can step out in faith and start to believe God for all the promises that he's made, right? When we understand that he is the God of plenty and therefore we trust him, there's a, there's a shift in our life. But there was something else in 2 Kings chapter 4 as I was praying through it, and I felt like the Lord really gave it for me and for you. And I want to bring it to your attention real quick before we pray. And here's the thought. When you read 2 Kings chapter 4, what you realize is that this lady was not responsible for the oil. She was responsible for the jars. Did you catch that? Never once did God say, I need you to do anything with the oil besides pour it. He didn't need her to try to mix something up. Isn't it interesting? You ready? How come he didn't ask her to ask the neighbors for oil? Talk about new math. If I want more oil, what's the first thing I should ask for? Oil, right? Like imagine if you were like, hey, I'd like some deviled, I'd like some eggs. Can you go ask your neighbor if they have eggs? Like, yeah, but when you get there, ask them if they have any empty egg cartons. What good is that? God was preparing her for something. 
So he told her, you're not responsible for the oil. You are responsible for the jars. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but it said that once she ran out of jars, the oil stopped pouring. Did you catch that? So here's what that means. That had she got less jars, there would have been less. And had she got more jars, there would have been more. Y'all, this principle is staring us in the face. That our ability to step out in faith with God is what decides when God's ability to provide begins or stops flowing. It's not God's resource. It's our faith. It's not God's ability to provide. It's whether or not we give him the jar. And I was going through this. I'm practicing and preaching this. And I'm going, God, this is what it's about. You're teaching me faith, God. If I would have got more jars, you would have gave more oil. If I get less jars, you'd give less oil. And I'm just going crazy. And all of a sudden, I felt the Spirit of God tell me this. He said, what jar won't you give me? That's what I want to talk to you about just for a second. Because every one of us in here right now, we have a particular jar that we're struggling giving to God. For some of us, it's our finances. And that's what this whole series has been about, to try to get you to look at it differently so that you can step out and trust God. So for some of you, it's your finances, but I felt the Spirit of God said, for some of them, it's not their finances. There's people in that room that trust me with their finances, but they don't trust me with their family. And so my question to you, just for a moment, is you're talking about a God who has plenty of oil to fill every jar. I thought about having all of these jars, but I just, you know, I just figured I could illustrate it with these. But in every area of your life is represented by a jar. There's a jar of your marriage. There's a jar of your finances. There's a jar in the hopes that you'll be married. There's a jar for your children. There's a jar in hopes that you'll have children. There's a jar in your faith. There's a jar in your purpose. There's a jar, jar of your calling. There's a jar of your friends. There's a jar of your, I could go on and on and on. There's all kinds of jars. And we are the ones that get to decide which jars we give to God. And we say, God, you fill them up. And what I love about God is he has plenty of oil to fill every jar up. He has enough oil to be able to fill up a jar of your past pain and your future fears. He has enough, enough oil to be able to fill the jar up of what, what happened to you that you can't seem to let go. And the step of faith that God's calling you to take. He has enough oil to fill up the jar of the fact that you've been asking and praying and it has, there's enough oil. The question is not, does God have enough oil? The question is, at what point do you stop bringing him jars? Where is that invisible line? Do me a favor, everybody stand. I want to challenge you for a second. Where have you kind of drawn that? In? Where, you know what I mean? Like, 
Like, here's the things that we happily give God. And then here's the things that we're hesitant to let him touch. And I understand why we do it. Because we start to compare what we're seeing to what we're believing. Right? And there's a moment where we wonder if God even wants to do it at all. But I'm telling you that you serve a God that is plenty. And I believe he put 2 Kings chapter 4 in that moment, in that for us specifically, to let us know that our responsibility isn't the oil. It's the jar. I want to read one more scripture. Before I do, I'm going to take just a second. I know we've got some families I need to dismiss for a moment to get their kids ready for baptism. So you guys go ahead and get ready, but if you're not involved with baptism, stand still. I want to to show you something. When you set something up like this and you start telling people that God can fill any jar, you just got to bring them the jar, you end up with a room of a whole bunch of different jars. I'm studying this particular scripture and I started thinking, how many different jars do you think she got from all these houses? Like if I go to Amber's house and ask for a jar, I'm going to get a real pretty jar. You come to my house and you ask for a jar, you're going to get Tupperware. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like every house would have been a different jar. And I felt the Spirit of God tell me, you're in a room full of people who all have different jars. And I wish I had the time to call each one of them out. This is your jar. This is the thing that you struggle giving to God. You struggle with it because of something that happened in the past. You struggle with it because God said he was going to do something and he didn't do it. Or I would tell you this, he didn't do it the way you thought he was going to do it. And so because of what you see, it's dictated now what you ask for. And you've stopped asking for jars. You start stopped opening up jars to God because you keep looking at the oil. And it's like, surely this is enough. And I'm telling you, God wants to do even more in your life. So for just a moment, just, just do me a favor. Just think for a second. Matter of fact, close your eyes. I think that will really send it home. Let the Spirit of God speak to you for just a moment. What's the area of your life that God is asking you to give to him so that he can feel it? Not you, him. And you know it because you keep trying to give it to him. And then there's the step of faith, and you kind of pull it back a little bit. You know, it's like, God, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I really want to, but I'm scared. But I'm scared. So keep your eyes closed. I want you to think about that for a second. I'm going to read Scripture over you right now. And this is Scripture over that jar. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. says this, and God is able to make all grace. Grace is every favor and earthly blessing of God. You ready? Make all grace come in abundance to you. God is able to make all grace come in abundance to you so that you may always, parentheses, under all circumstance, regardless of the need, you will always have complete sufficiency in everything. Being completely all-sufficient 
in him and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. Don't open your eyes. Stay there for a moment. I'm going to read it again. And here's what I want you to hear. Your father, the spirit of God saying to you right now, daughter, son, that jar that you've been hesitant to give me, I want to give you my promise over that jar. And here's my promise, that I am able to make all grace come in abundance to you so that you may always have complete sufficiency in everything and that you would have abundance. That's a God of plenty. He doesn't want to just meet the need. He wants to give you more. So I'm going to pray over you, but I'm going to challenge you. And when you walk out of here today, don't take that jar back. If you give God less jars, there's less oil. When you give God more jars, there's more oil. Money's not the answer to our problems. God is. Father, right now we come before you. Honored to be in your presence. To know that you love us so much that you're talking specifically to every person in this room about their situation. And that there's many in this room that have put doubt where faith should be because they've been doing the math in their heads. And your message for them this morning is stop doing your math and trust God to do his. Oh, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would just move for a moment, just a moment. Speak to every person in this room. Father, as we worship you, I pray that as we worship you, there'd be this moment of surrender. Would you do that this morning just as we begin to worship? Would you let that be kind of an attitude of surrender of that jar? Hallelujah. Let that be your act of worship. up kiddos hey y'all just came in in a really sweet moment look at me every one of you look at me hey baby your parents are trusting God with areas of their life that they have difficulty trusting God with. 
That's not weakness. It's strength. You are lucky because your family loves God and submits their life to God. And the Bible says that when you train those up in the way they shall go, they will not depart from it. You are the best jar they have. And God's already made a promise to fill it. So walk in that. Amen? I'm going to pray over you. Close your eyes. Father, I pray right now over every child in this room as we get ready to celebrate five of them that are being baptized. I'm thankful, Father, for your promise. I'm thankful, Father, for your faithfulness. I'm thankful that you control the outcome of my life and not me. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough father. I'm not a good enough man. But I'm made righteous in you. And for every person in this room that they would understand that, that they're not a good enough spouse. They're not a good enough mom or dad. They're not a good enough person. But they are righteous in Jesus Christ. And that every worry and every struggle you will feel with your presence, Father. 